I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! Yay! <laughs> Welcome back to Cemetery Row. Uh, we have a lovely art filled episode for you this week because we are discussing artists. Yes. yes. Um, and I think we don't really have any news this week. Um, nothing crazy to announce or nothing crazy to no. discuss. Um, tomorrow is Walpurgis night, uh, which is like German Halloween. So, um, apparently all the witches go to Mount Brocken and do witchy shit, which hmm. holla. Yeah. <laughs> I have fun with that. that. I yeah. did hear that tonight, um, which is April 30th, uh, it's basically kind of like Halloween part two, like the veil's supposed to be thinner and all that. Yeah. Jazz. Cause it's like the halfway point. Yeah. yeah. So ghosts hit me up. Yeah. Hi. Right. Hello. All those witches in Germany. Yeah. Get it done. Live deliciously. Yep. Dresses and butter. Have a good time. Yes. That was my favorite part of the witch as when he's Me like, too. do you want dresses and butter? And I'm like, in yes. modern society, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> like, yeah, you're offering me everything I've ever wanted. And, you know, right. does the dress have pockets? Cool. Right. There. Like <laughs> dairy and clothes. So give yes. me that book. <laughs> and living deliciously. Yes. I'll go dance naked with some groovy chicks in the woods. I don't care. Heck yeah, sure. Okay, so we're going to kick off our art stories with the Luhu? Yes, yes. So as we all know, it would not be on brand for Lori if I didn't struggle with finding a person to cover for this week's episode. And y'all, I did struggle. I'm not an art person. I've never really been able to look at art and say, oh, you know, it's this brush strokes and blah. Yeah, it just... It goes over my head. So I first thought I would cover Caravaggio, but I kind of glazed over real quickly, you know, blah, 1600s. Then I thought I would do Walter Sickert, which is who y'all thought I was doing. I know. I was very excited. Are yes. you teasing me? Yes, because then I realized that he was the person that Patricia Cornwell wrote an entire ass book about him being Jack the Ripper. And I cannot stand Patricia Cornwell, anything she writes or does. (laughs) So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not doing sicker. So I finally came across the story of Richard dad Hmm. and and just like goat castle dad. Thank you for saying that Hannah. That's what I was thinking. You're welcome. And just like goat castle from a few weeks ago, his story has it all. Fairies, murder, (gasps) schizophrenia, and Egyptian gods. All of my favorite things. (laughs) Heck yeah, let's do this. So here we go. Richard Dad was born on August 1st, 1817 in Chatham, Kent, England to Robert and Marianne Dad. He was the fourth of seven children. And here's a little bit of foreshadowing. Several of his siblings would struggle with mental health issues later in life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that can happen. There's not a ton of information out there on his early life, only that he was very talented at drawing. Um, I think they noticed it as he was when he was a teenager and he was admitted to the Royal Academy of Arts when he was 20. Oh, we're going to come back to that. (laughs) Oh, it always does. (laughs) 
So during the 1830s, he formed an art group called the Clique, or Clique, however you want to pronounce it, which included artists Augustus Egg, William Powell Frith, and Edward Matthew Ward. The group rejected the holier-than-thou attitudes toward art and preferred to receive critiques from the public. So during meetings, they would pick a subject and they would draw or create a piece based on that subject. And then they would ask non-artist friends to provide a judgment on their work. What looks best to you instead of the hoity-toity asshole viewpoint (laughs) of the art critics. That's cool. Yeah. So in the summer of 1842, he was hired to accompany Sir Thomas Phillips on an expedition to travel through Europe, Greece, Syria, and Egypt. Uh, Phillips was a Welsh lawyer, former mayor, politician. He was going on this trip and he wanted to bring along an artist to sketch along the way. And upon the artist's return to England, they would take those sketches and create paintings. So it Hmm. sounded like a great idea to Richard and he quickly found that it wasn't all that he expected um Phillips basically was just like checking off places on his bucket list and not actually enjoying spending time there and so Richard hardly had any time to enjoy the scenery and sketch so he was getting pissed off pretty early but Nothing really major happened until that December when they hit Egypt and they were cruising up the Nile. Um, They had several deep conversations about religion and the difference between Christian God, the Christian God, and then the Egyptian gods. And at some point during this trip, Richard experienced a sudden personality shift. He became aggressive and experienced started experiencing extreme delusions he would rant about the egyptian gods and uh his ramblings became more incoherent around the the people around him could not understand what he was going on about Uh, he did write a letter back home to friends and he said quote i have lain down at night with my imagination so full of vagaries that i have really and truly doubted my own sanity end Uh quote oh wow so Phillips and Coves were like, oh, you just have sunstroke. But either, <laughs> either way, Phillips okay. was, was scared of Richard and said, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and go home early? You know, something's right. off with you. He, when he traveled through Italy, he thought the Pope was out to get him and talked about he was going to murder the Pope. Oh, no. Um, he got back Jeez. home to Kent Uh, in the spring of 1843, and his father hoped that a quiet change of scenery would help with his son's disturbed mind and delusions. Unfortunately, the descent into madness was just just beginning for Richard Dad. Uh On the evening of August 29th, 1843, Richard and his father went for a walk in Cobham Park. Richard attacked his father, punching him in the head and attempting to slit his throat with a razor. Oh, Jesus. When that failed, he stabbed him once in the chest, which killed his father instantly. Holy cow. You think? As his father lay dead at his feet, Richard allegedly raised his hands to the sky and yelled, quote, go and tell the great God Osiris that I have done the deed, which is to set him free. Jesus. You see, 
Richard's delusion was that he was the son of the Egyptian god Osiris, and his actual father was the devil or an evil stand-in. Oh, geez. Richard believed that he was, quote, the son and envoy of God sent to exterminate the men most possessed with the demon, end quote. Wow. Okay. After murdering his father, Richard fled. He next planned on killing Ferdinand I, the emperor of Austria. However, he never made it. He was he was captured nice in goals there right. too. <laughs> he was captured in France after attempting to kill a fellow passenger on a coach. Oh man. He spent the next 10 months in a French asylum before being extradited back to England to stand trial. God help us. Luckily for Richard, he was one of the first people to benefit from the McNaughton rules, which was the first attempt in England to allow insanity as a criminal defense. He was found to be insane and was committed to the Bethlehem Royal Hospital, which is also known by its nickname of Bedlam. Uh, Lots of movies, lots of stories based on that. There's a reason that word means what it means now. (laughs) Yes. However notorious its history and reputation were, because apparently it had been around since like the 1200s, by all accounts, Richard was treated pretty well while at Bethlehem, even though he was prone to outbursts of violence against other patients. But he would apologize right away. Oh, God. So I guess (laughs) that made it up. Sorry. Yeah. so, so yeah, they encouraged him to paint. They gave him all the art supplies, a studio. Uh, in 1852, he finished a portrait of one of his doctors, Alexander Morrison, which now hangs in the Scottish National Portrait Gallery. Cool. It was also while at Bethlehem, he created what would become his most famous work, the Fairy Feller's Master Stroke, which he worked on for nine years as wow. a gift for George Henry Hayden, who was the head steward at the hospital. The work depicts the actions of a fairy lumberjack about to fell a hazelnut to make a new carriage for Queen Mab. And this was not his, the first time his art featured supernatural or fantasy elements. He started kind of experimenting with those in the 1840s. Um, it's definitely his best known work. Cool. And it's not very big. It looks big because um, we'll share a p- picture on our socials, mm-hmm. but it's it's not as big as it looks. C- kind of like the Mona Lisa. You know, you think the Mona Lisa right. is this huge painting and it's little bitty bitty. It is. Yeah. Um, and it, it actually, uh, so the fairy feller stroke was never actually finished. Like the, mm-hmm. the left-hand corner, bottom corner is uh, like just sketched in. He didn't finish the painting. The reason he didn't finish is because in 1864, he was transferred to the Broadmoor Asylum, where he wrote elimination of a picture and its subject called the Feller Master Stroke, which is an in-depth account of each character inside the painting in their roles. I did find a website that includes the entire text, which is very confusing and makes a little sense to me, but I always <laughs> struggled with Victorian era poetry. So we will include a link in the show notes. So if you want to go and try to decipher what this guy is saying, <laughs> go right ahead. I mean, he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and Victorian. So uh-huh. he's got a lot working <laughs> against him here. That's true. Yes. Yes. Any kind of coherent sense. <laughs> Doctors weren't 
unable to do much to help with his delusions and his mental health issues. You know, schizophrenia, which is probably what he had, wasn't even really brought to light until 1899. And it wasn't even given a name until 1908. As I mentioned before, two of his siblings also suffered from what is believed to be schizophrenia. And another one of his uh, siblings lived with a caretaker, but there was never an official diagnosis as to what their issues were. Right. Um, 75% of all schizophrenia diagnoses come between the ages of 16 and 25. Yeah. Richard was in his mid twenties during his breakdown. And in fact, the symptom of religious delusions are so common in schizophrenia that there is term that there is a term for them. Religiosity. Yeah. So right on point, everything he seemed to be experiencing was schizophrenia. There was no medication at the time. Like I think Mm -hmm. at Bethlehem, they tried to give him cold showers yeah. And do a water therapy. And it's like, that's not going to work. So he yeah. continued to live the rest of his life under the delusion that he was the son of Osiris, that he did not regret killing his father because his father was the devil. And he was like, he created these amazing pieces of art throughout the rest of his life, but you couldn't really carry on a conversation with him because he had just lost his mind. The only way he was communicating in a way people could understand was through his, his paintings. Um, So he continued to paint while in Broadmoor and he contracted what is most likely tuberculosis. Um, It was called like an illness of the lungs. So yeah. Yeah. Tuberculosis. And he died on January 7th, 1886. His artwork faded into obscurity until the 1960s when his most famous work was donated to the Tate Gallery in 1963. The painting actually inspired Freddie Mercury to write the song, The Fairy Feller's Master Stroke. So there's a Queen song written about his art. And Neil Gaiman wrote an essay about the painting in 2013. Well, that's awesome. Well, good. So he was buried on the grounds of Broadmoor in an unmarked grave. And unfortunately, I cannot find much on the cemetery at the hospital. Um, The only picture I could find is an open field with one marker. um, But it doesn't say who that marker's for, only it's not his. uh, But there's obviously many many patients buried there but there's no way to determine where right. broadmoor was where the yorkshire ripper was yes too, wasn't it and then um jimmy savile there, there's broadmoor yeah. there there's been several uh that were there but um but yeah that's that's the short and sad story <laughs> of your dad um you know it's it's unfortunate, you know, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to a lot of, uh, obsessed with disappeared a lot of their cases, the kids it's young men that go missing or yeah. have some type of mental break. And they're usually in their twenties and it's, that's when these symptoms start exhibiting. Um, and there's, you know, these in the, in a lot of these cases, those people run off into the woods and die of exposure. Um, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, uh, there wasn't the help that he needed to um, take care of his mental health problems. There's still isn't. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because these, these episodes of obsess are disappeared, 
you know, we're from the 2000s and those people yeah. were missing then. And this guy lived in the 1800s. I mean, he's right. They're lucky that it, only one person was killed um, right. because he was on a mission. Right. And, you know, for the most part, he seemed to be happy. And luckily he was taken care of in these institutions because that was definitely not the case for many no. people. Yeah. Um, these doctors that treated him were much more open-minded about insanity. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was able to create some really beautiful works um, while incarcerated. So anyway, that is the short story of uh, Mr. Richard Dad. Oh, yeah. And that's... Um... I I can't remember exactly what his diagnosis is, but Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys yeah. mm-hmm. has like schizophrenia or, or some form of it. And that's why I love his music so much is because he's trying to make you hear what he's he feeling hears and feels. And it's so fascinating to you go from the early stuff of cars and surfing and girls, and then you get into the later stuff. It you know, if Mike Love let him, um, <laughs> where it's more complex and it's weird and there's these unexpected noises. And I'm like, I feel like you're really listening to his mental state. I don't want to say you're listening to his mental illness. Cause I don't know that it's for some people, it is an illness. It is something you suffer with, but, and, and I know Brian has suffered with it, but I think for some people, maybe you're not so much suffering for it. You're just experiencing it. Right. That's just how they exist. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to say that like autism is automatically a disability or whatever. Like you just think differently than I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not the norm. No one is a norm. There is no norm. You know, I just, I think there's, I don't like it when some people are just like, oh, it's if your brain works a little quote unquote differently, it's bad. Like, no, right experiencing the world in a different way and i think that's fascinating either way yeah absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) and that's i mean it's not uncommon with artists because you know that's how you get that out is you have to you can't tell people this is what i'm experiencing you have to have it in auditory and visual Mm -hmm. and you know all these different ways very interesting and yes, his name is Dick Dad forever <laughs> in my so head. So was his last name spelled D-A-D, Dad? No, D-A-D-D. Oh, uh, of course they had to put the extra, <laughs> the extra D. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hannah. <laughs> uh, you guys know you Sounds love me. right. <laughs> Speaking of religious weirddom and artists. <laughs> so let's get to it. <laughs> so strap in, people. Mine is actually not going to be as gory as it usually is um, can, I, can i just say real quickly mm-hmm. i kind of halfway expected you to be like gacy was an artist oh, God, no. <laughs> he no. was he was he you painted know, clowns I kind of expected you to do that he also be painted like, technically okay so fun fact um he did a painting in prison um of the chicago cubs playing a game against the seven dwarves <laughs> and unbeknownst to the poor poor members of the chicago cubs they signed it not realizing who had painted it <laughs> so that exists out in the world if you can find it let me know oh, man. but yes gacy did uh, did paint 
This is not Gacy. This is very, very <laughs> pre-Gacy here. Okay. We're going to get into weird shit, which is my other favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Austin Osmond Spare was born December 30th, 1886 and died May 15th, 19 or yeah, 1956. He had a good long run. Mm-hmm. He was buried in his fam- his father's grave in a churchyard on the outskirts of London. So they were poor. They were sharing okay, graves. So, okay. I was like, so he was buried in his father. So, okay. Right. Like his dad had passed and then they just went ahead and dug it back up and put his coffin on top. Mm. <laughs> Uh, an obscure British artist among many. We just talked about one. (laughs) However, he had a legacy that he probably would never have thought about, never have imagined. Austin was a certain type of person we all know and love. Maybe you were that type of person. He was a bright student, but hated school. He trained as a draughtsman, which is somebody who writes technical drawings for engineering and architecture. Mm-hmm. So like blueprints and highly technical schematics, but didn't want to do the commitment of an apprenticeship. He received a scholarship to the Royal College of Art, but didn't yeah. enjoy that experience either. <laughs> Talented, but no interest in social constructs. Can we say neurodiverse? Yes. While still in college, he wrote and published his first book, Earth Inferno, based on Madame Helena Blavatsky's theory that Earth was, in fact, hell. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> right? The madam has her own issues, so please see the last podcast on the left series about her for much more. Ooh. Very interesting woman. Highly problematic. Oh, um, I'm sure. The Nazis would draw a lot of their more occult thoughts from Mm -hmm. Blavatsky's work um that's not to say she was specifically anti-semitic or racist or anything like that but just that her work got used in that way Mm -hmm. but she was she was a crazy woman in her time and I must respect it the drawings in his in this book and his subsequent exhibit of it were sexual and monstrous especially to early 1900 sensibilities he did nudes he did a lot a lot of nudes and the thing about his nudes is that they were not you know the 1900s version of photoshopped these were not elegant nudes this is like this is what a human body looks like Mm -hmm. you know this is what titties do when they're laying Mm -hmm. in certain which is nice hey you know yeah there's that one period of art where the boobs just look like bolted on and it's like have you ever (laughs) seen a boob in your life because that's not what they (laughs) can tell they haven't (laughs) like i don't know what you're looking at but that's not it after leaving higher ed because he had become truant and decided fuck this shit (laughs) he took a job designing book plates for a publisher and getting deeper into occult thought again if you're listening to this podcast you are either friends with this person are this person or both (laughs) we have (laughs) this person in our lives very creative super smart absolutely brilliant will not apply themselves to anything yep at this time, he wrote and illustrate wrote, illustrated, and published his second book, a book of satyrs, which poked fun at clergy and politicians alike. Which again, I simply must support. <laughs> Spare would attract the attention of none other than the wickedest man in the world, Aleister Crowley. <laughs> oh Lord! Austin would provide drawings for one of Crowley's books, which Crowley paid for by giving him a ritual robe. <laughs> Crowley was a cheap motherfucker. Oh yeah. And would be inducted to one of Crowley's Thelemite orders. 
I won't be going deep into Crowley's spiritual practices, but it's a lot of body fluid, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of body fluid. Um, again, last 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 podcast left did a great series about it. Go listen to it. It's ooh, ooh. stuff you missed in history class did a good ooh. Crowley episode too. You just want to Lysol everything. <laughs> yeah. Spare, in true spare fashion, would bristle against the Thelemites' strict hierarchy and focus on ceremonial magic. So Crowley's whole thing was a whole lot of ritual, a whole lot of written down ritual, hierarchies and order and structure. And he was like, basically, if you've ever played D&D, he's the most anal retentive dungeon master you have ever dealt (laughs) with in your life. And you're like, come the fuck on. This is a fantasy game. Can we calm down? (laughs) It's all made up. Chill out. And if you're involved in like occult or magic or, you know, kind of esoteric spaces, you know, this asshole, you know, yep. this. you can't yep. do it that way. Motherfucker, yep. we're making it up as we go along. We could do it however we want. Everything in life is made up. I <laughs> it's mean, all ma- your name is made up. Money's made up. Shut the fuck up. Let's we're I was going to say, I mean, taxes are made up. Come on. Right. Like, like money is a social construct move yes. on yes. so Lord. spare was definitely in that frame of like everything's made up just calm the fuck down yeah um it's also rumored that crowley made an advance on poor austin which that was cute. and while it's never been confirmed that's pretty on brand for crowley mm-hmm. i was watching one of those ghost hunter shows and you know uh one of the rumors that this place was haunted by Crowley's ghost and like first of all Crowley really didn't believe in hauntings that wasn't really his theology and second of all the ghost hunter was like I feel a very strong masculine presence I was like that's not Alistair no. Crowley boo no he was a power bottom so <laughs> <laughs> just saying so while Crowley's magical practice focused on satin former rituals requiring accessories and other accoutrements, the rebellious spare saw magic as a deeply personal and individual practice. He would later refer to Alistair and his fellow practitioners as the unemployed dandies of brothels. <laughs> I like Which that. burn band name. Band name. All, exactly. Punk band. Um, which sick burn, but also true. Yeah. Spare would marry the daughter of an older woman he met at a pub because okay. And while the two would stay together until his death, they weren't exactly compatible. Again, we know this guy. (laughs) Spare would publish his third and arguably most consequential book in 1913, The Book of Pleasure. It featured his drawings and his view on humans, our unconscious mind, and this is where he would introduce sigil magic, which is still used by a lot of practitioners Mm -hmm. today. Critics at the time would love the art, but be less than thrilled about the content. It was 1913. He would be conscripted during World War I and produce absolutely haunting paintings of trench warfare. Um, there's some that we're going to include in the socials that is just like, because trench warfare was disgusting. Like, it was mm-hmm. fucking just literally hell on earth. Yeah. And he paints it in such a way that you're like, oh, God. Yeah, no, that sucked. And then when surrealism came to Britain, thanks to Salvador Dali, Spare produced a surrealist set of divination cards, which if I can oh, cool. ever find, I want to at least see, if not own. Yeah. He would later meet occultist Kenneth Grant, and the two would solidify Spare's spiritual beliefs, especially the focus on, on the unconscious mind and sigil magic. Spare would paint portraits of famous spiritualists like Arthur Conan Doyle, who I did not know was a spiritualist. <laughs> you learn something new every day 
and one of the Fox sisters who we are going to cover at some point. He was also a member of the Royal Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which makes him all right in my book. Yeah. Shortly before his death, he would appear on a radio show to discuss his beliefs, but he felt like he was being made fun of, which he probably was. In 1956, he would succumb to a burst appendix. Oh, my God. That's awful. I know. That hurts. And apparently he had been suffering from anemia, gallstones, all sorts of other, like, maladies before he got there. So the burst appendix is probably a welcome relief. <laughs> His works are owned by the likes of Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin and many museums. His spiritual practices would form the bedrock of a form of magical practice called chaos magic Mm -hmm. which emphasizes the unconscious will and acts of intention so this really goes back to him believing in and chaos magic which we're talking about last podcast left a lot for me they also have a really good series on chaos magic it's about you having your intentions in your individual practice and your individual will and you know using that as opposed to a very highly ritualistic it's saying the power to do all of these things is within you you just have to use it um which is i think a really kind of nice and very inspiring especially for those of us who the organized like form just doesn't do it for us you know it's just like when people talk about cults i was like i don't even like group cheers no. Like pep rallies make me vaguely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I don't like this. Whatever's that happening. Mentality scares yeah. me. I'm just, yeah. I'm not into it. It feels vaguely sinister to me. Yep. And mm-hmm. maybe it's because I read about the Holocaust way too young as a child. And I was like, oh, no, bad. Um, but a more indiv- individualistic practice, again, because I was a little wicked baby in the middle of nowhere. So my practice by nature was individual. It's, you know, read more into it. It's interesting mm-hmm. and a lot of fun, unless you're not into that sort of thing, in which case, look up his art because it's pretty amazing. He would also inspire many a European death metal bands. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because that is what we all look for. Not bad for a working class kid from London. Cool. Nobody yeah. got shot, stabbed, or had their brain fingered. No, (laughs) no, this was relatively wholesome for me. It was actually, this was like Care Bears and, you know, strawberry (laughs) shortcake for you. Yes, yes. There was just some vague mentions of Aleister Crowley, which we couldn't get around. Yeah. And he's basically a Care Bear to me. Like people want to make him like scary and whatever. And I'm like, no, yeah, he was just, I mean, it's like. And I know I talked about this when we talked about the Chicago Ripper crew and like the Satanism and stuff is okay. LaVey was Anton LaVey, who's the um, Church of Satan. Mm -hmm. He was a carnival barker. Right. Found a way to make money by being an edgelord asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the Temple of Satan or the Satanic Temple rather is doing really good work. Yep. Which is basically being secular humanists with facial piercings which mm-hmm. <laughs> rock on they're you know so again when you hear satanists and occultists and witchcraft and all this stuff it's just 
people trying to experience the divine and the mm -hmm. way that works for them. Exactly. If, if going to a Baptist church does it for you, wonderful. If power do you. speaking in tongues does it for you, wonderful. Yep. For some people, it just needs to be a little bit different. And at the end of the day, it's just people trying to experience the divine in whatever yep. way that works for them. Yeah. So his way was art and sigils yeah. and, you know, all of those sorts of things, which we know sigils and symbology are super important to humans. That is, we've been drawing cave paintings since we could pick up, you know, mm -hmm. colors. So, yeah. you know, all of that is just such an important part of the human experience. And so it, I think yep. it's very interesting in that, you know, his, his form doesn't ask you to deny your humanness in a way like a lot of Christian sects do, where, you know, everything of the world is bad. It's mm -hmm. things that are of, you know, the divine or good. It's saying live in the world. The world mm -hmm. is in and of itself divine find the right. divine within the world and so i just like that so again yeah, you know you. the last pod has a ton of really great episodes on a lot of the stuff i touched on definitely check it out um and definitely check out uh his work it's it is like i said the the trench warfare pick uh painting was it's, it's haunting like you look at it and you feel it you're like oh fuck hmm. And then, you know, even his kind of like more occulty drawings are super interesting. Like you look yeah. at them and you're like, oh, I do feel vaguely, yeah. vaguely uncomfortable. Like what is happening here? Like something's going on. Hmm. So cool. Definitely yeah. check them out. We'll post some stuff. It'll be great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, for my story, um, I am nowhere near as creepy as y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I went for someone quote unquote normal. <laughs> like I said, normal doesn't exist. Um, and if we're going to start it off, we're going to start it off with January of this year. So picture it, my <laughs> tiny January apartment, <laughs> my tiny apartment where I religiously obsessively watch PBS's show <laughs> Antiques Roadshow. I love Antiques Roadshow, y'all. Listen, it well, is you are it in our first episode. You are <laughs> a grandma at heart. Gina. I am. I am. And you know, it's perfect for the ADHD mind because if you're not interested in whatever antique they're talking about, give them five Another minutes one's to switch coming. to something else. <laughs> and you're like, yes, I love old stuff. I love history. So it's like, yes, please. Anyway, this gorgeous necklace came up for appraisal. Um, it uh, is agate and it's silver. Um, it's from 1965. And they discussed the artist who created this necklace, a man named Art Smith. And I'd never heard of him, but I was fascinated by him. And so I wrote it down and I was like, I immediately texted y'all. I'm like, we have to do an artist episode at some point. Cause I want to talk about this guy I just learned about from antiques roadshow. Um, so thank you antiques roadshow for, uh, <laughs> inspiring this episode. Also, thank you to Hannah for telling me the antiques roadshow has a TikTok account. Oh my I God. Mean, <sighs> it is ADHD gold mine. It is. Uh, I just love it. Anyway, by the way, that necklace that, um, art Smith who made the necklace, uh, it was appraised for anywhere between, uh, 25, and $3,500. Damn. And this nice. lady's husband had just bought it for her as a gift. And, I'm, and I don't know, how, they didn't pay that much, but I was still just like, okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's a awesome. nice gift. 
Yes, it is. So let's talk about Art Smith. Uh, so he was born Arthur George Smith in 1917 in Cuba after his parents immigrated there from Jamaica. And then the Smith family moved to Brooklyn in New York uh, when he was three years old. His parents, James and Mary, split and his father eventually moved back to Jamaica and he actually never saw his father again after that. What? But Art was an artistic little boy. He loved drawing. He loved making all kinds of art. Um, and his mother encouraged this. And when he was a child, he created a poster for the ASPCA, which was kind of like a big deal for him. Like he won oh. this contest, I think. Oh. And it was just really cool. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So um, anyway, he went on to study architecture and sculpture at Cooper Union, which I didn't know was a, it's a private college in New York and it has three schools, one for art, one for engineering and one for architecture. I think I have heard of it. Yeah. And um, so he studied all of that, but then eventually he did turn to jewelry. And in the early 1940s, he met Winifred Mason. She um, is a black lady who was also a jeweler and a lot of her stuff is similar to arts like you can see how he was inspired by her I love um, a good Winifred oh god <laughs> I do too isn't that a great name and I think I saw someone call her Winnie but I'm like either way Winnie or Winifred great name yeah. um so art what he is known for is he made this sculptural jewelry it is basically sculptures that mold to the body and move with it oh. so it's not just a piece of jewelry you wear it's a part of you um, he was fascinated with biomorphism, a type of art that rever refers to or evokes living forms like the human body. He was also influenced by sculptor Alexander Calder, who made these innovative mobiles, which those are really cool too. And he tried to make jewelry, but really it wasn't as wearable as what art was making. Um, Art's jewelry has been described as inspired by surrealism, biomorphism, and primitivism dynamic in its size and form. Uh, he loved music and he loved dance. He especially loved jazz. He was a jazz aficionado and knew everything about jazz. And I feel like he breathed it practically. And so his pieces then were inspired by and meant to be worn by avant-garde dancers so a lot of his pieces are really large because they needed to be seen from the stage um and a lot of times his music is sort of described as being like visible jazz like it has that same energy and movement oh, cool. um and as someone who took dance lessons for most of her life I love dance and I love movement and I know that I mean, I did clogging, which is like <laughs> probably the least cool dance form out there, but I love it. I love percussive dance, um, but I love movement, movement, and I love how uh, his jewelry is, it moves on its own, but then you put it on and it moves with you. And it's, it's so cool. He said he felt that jewelry and the body should work together to create a look and that jewelry is incomplete without a body, which I thought was fascinating. I've never thought about jewelry like that. Um, so this is how he describes his style. He said, a jewel, a piece of jewelry is in a sense, an object that is not complete in itself. Jewelry is a, what is it until you relate it to the body? 
The body is a component in in design, just as air and space are. Like line, form, and color, the body is a material to work with. It is one of the basic inspirations in creating form. So Art opened up his own shop in New York in 1946. And early on, he and his store were attacked. Um, He was a black man. He was openly gay. And... The neighborhood he was in was just not friendly to him on both Imagine of those fronts. That. Yeah. <laughs> so like uh, someone tried to run him over once. Someone like broke his, the windows out of his shop. Um, but eventually, Jesus. yeah, but eventually he moved to Greenwich Village and that was a much more welcoming um, area, obviously. Yeah, that's still a really big artist's kind yeah. of enclave that they're gentrifying the shit out of. But right. it was, yeah, it was where the artists hung out. Yeah. And he stayed in business there till 1979. Um, It was a small workshop where he actually like worked on jewelry, but then it was also a showroom. So if someone came in, he could help them himself. So I thought that was cool. cool. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like I said, he loved modern dance and jazz. He was friends with all of the famous black artists of the time. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty cool when you're friends with Eartha Kitt. Who's yes. amazing. Yeah. Harry ben- Belafonte and Lena Horn. Oh, yeah. Uh, friends with Duke Ellington. He actually created cufflinks for Duke Ellington that included somehow some musical notes to one of his songs in them. Oh, I fun. I don't know how, but I'm like, that sounds amazing. And then he was commissioned to create a brooch for uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, which was given to her by a local chapter of the NAACP. Cool. And during his lifetime, his pieces. I love Eleanor. Oh, she's so cool. Uh, during his lifetime, his pieces were uh, featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, and his jewelry was sold at Bloomingdale's. Um, he also exhibited jewelry at the Museum of Contemporary Crafts. Uh, His partner, Charles Russell, later said he thought Art was pretty happy with his career, but always, you know, kind of a little disappointed that he didn't get the recognition he truly deserved. Like he was out there, but he wasn't famous, famous, famous. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Certainly his pieces didn't sell for what they were worth, too. Um, Clearly they ended up on Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. Um, so Art Smith died of heart disease in 1982 at the age of 65. And I, it, it kills me to say this. I can't find where he's buried. Oh. I can't find if he was cremated. I would assume he would be buried somewhere in New York. If he is buried, if he is cremated, right. I figure maybe his partner has his ashes. I don't know. Like, I, uh, I can't tell. And it kills me. Um, <laughs> But his partner, Charles Russell, did write a book about him called Art as Adornment, The Life and Work of Arthur George Smith. And that came out just a couple of years ago. Cool. Um, I would love to read it, but I didn't have a chance to track down a copy before we recorded. Yeah. Um, but since his passing, Art and his work have really started to get the recognition that it deserves. Um, one of his most famous pieces is the Diminishing Spirals, which is a huge necklace of these spirals. We're, we'll obviously post a picture of it. Um, it sold for less than $100 when he made it in the 50s, but it was recently purchased by the Milwaukee Museum of Art in 2015 for $22,000. Damn. Wow. Yeah. So posthumously, his work was the subject of an exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum uh, from 2008 to 2011. And then it's held in the permanent collection of the Cooper Hewitt Museum, uh, the Museum of 
art and design in the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. And speaking of PBS, there's also another great show that I also highly recommend called Craft in America. I am a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> and every episode is sort of based on a type of craft or some kind of theme. Um, like teachers or whatever this episode was specifically about jewelry and it uh, debuted or this episode was released in December 2021 um, and it was really cool because they talked with another artist who worked with him and how she's inspiring a whole new generation of artists um, a young man was in that video that um, is making his own art that was very very it reminded me a lot of art smith but he's definitely taking it in a whole new way and it was so cool to see so now he is considered an important figure in the modernist jewelry movement. Um, so I did find an obituary written for him and they said someone had written a portrait of Arthur that they shared. And so I'm going to end with that because I think it really sums up who he, who he was as a person. It says, while he, as an artist, he was without form as a man, he was about substance I said that totally wrong. <laughs> right, that reverse it. <laughs> While as an artist, he was about form. As a man, he was about substance. Not without humility, he once saw a pink flamingo spread its wings to reveal a shimmering blue-black underside and declared, with a smile, God is truly the supreme artist. Oh. And I think it's funny that we're doing this today because CoStar says my horoscope is find an ease of movement. And I just like, like I said, I love movement. I love choreography and, and how people move, whether it's, I love even a good, well choreographed fight scene in a movie. That's the only way I can get into action movies sometimes, but I love movement. I love that he created jewelry for dancers. I just yeah. think that's so cool. Um, and his pieces are just extraordinary. I mean, I see so much in his pieces you see to me hints of the earth you see hints of the galaxy you see movement you see music it's i just think his stuff is so cool so i wanted to give him a shout out and yeah. say you know go check him out but also you know i hope you have some money if you want to buy one of his pieces right yeah. so. that's so awesome I, yeah, yeah. my horoscope said like explore my intellect today and then i checked my email and it I had an email with the title or subject is the universe telling you to write a book. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you yes, know what? Is. The stars yes, is. have been fucking with me all week. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to need them to calm themselves down. I swear. But the universe knows that I'm not a subtle person. So they're like, <laughs> yeah. you know what, bitch? We can they do gotta, this too. They got to bop you on the head every so often. They do. Yeah. They do. I wish they would stop. But here we are. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, so those are our artists. Um, next week we are going to discuss athletes, which I think is hilarious. I'm very excited. None of us are very athletic. I, <laughs> I know nothing about the sports balls. Like y'all, listen. I almost tweeted this last night, and I'm like, I don't want to have men respond to me, but <laughs> none of us because they will. But like the Grizzlies in Memphis keep winning all these games, and I'm They're very killing excited. it. Yeah. And, and I understand what a win is. And so I'm very excited that they're winning. However, I have so many questions. Like, how many times are we going to have to play these Timberwolves? How many times? Like, what is the point of this? What, are we ever going to get to some other team? Or are we just yes. going to play the Timberwolves into eternity? Like, I think it's seven games. It's seven games. Seven? And, and whoever, it's the playoffs, I think. So whoever wins the best of seven 
goes seven. on to the next seven. That's too I many. Yes. That's too many. That's too look, many. I don't. And you can figure that out in three <laughs> games. You can figure that out in three. Why do we have to have so many? And I'm like, are we just in a loop like that one episode of Buffy <laughs> where like we just we keep living the same day over and over? Because I'm like, we beat them before. We beat them before. We, okay, we beat them before. Now, come on. Well, and that's the I'm thing like, with like baseball. Oh, yeah, I was like, about to say, isn't baseball like the yeah, World like Series nine have, or ten games? Well, Beats even me. during the regular season, like there we're doing a three game series with. I don't fucking know some other team <laughs> and it's like um and it's oh, so my hometown team technically is the Kansas City Royals so mm-hmm. I was like I, I want to see the Royals play up here so they're either going to play the White Sox or the Cubs and I'm just going to pick whatever one has the cheapest tickets because I have no loyalty <laughs> to any Chicago teams um I'm from Kansas City you can fight me on that mm-hmm. um but it's like they're like, okay, we'll pick which game. I was like, you're playing them like seven times. Like, what is happening? Why? So many I different understands. I'm, I'm used to football. You play that team once. You might play them again in the playoffs, but you play them once, right? And then yeah, you're done. You don't have to deal with that team again. <laughs> I don't get it, but I'll tell you what. Um, go Grizz and yes, all that jazz because I'm very excited for that. But I don't know what it means, and I think it'd be nice if we stop playing the Timberwolves. <laughs> I if we could ever stop playing, I think we're them. done. I think we're done. I think we're moving no on. We all need to get that shirt, and I have it in a tank top. I'm gonna make sure we all have it. Um, from Look Human that says, "Yay, sports, do the thing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. that's where exactly. I am with this. I don't know, yeah. but I hope both teams have a good time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's literally how I feel about it. Like, I love to go to a baseball game up at AutoZone Park here in Memphis. Yeah. Like, I love to see the Rippers games. Those are so much fun to me because it's just, it's people watching. And mm-hmm. sometimes they hit a pretty ball that goes really <laughs> far. And I, I'm cool with that. And then I get to get snacks. Like, that's great. Right. But, like, you somebody know. asked me, because we were talking about going to a Cubs game. And then they were like, do you like baseball? I'm like, no, but I do like day drinking. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I like good butts. And every one exactly. of those players Baseball players butts. have amazing butts. So it's like yeah. when I used to watch NASCAR with my dad, you know, that he likes NASCAR. And anyone who <laughs> says anything about that, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a wedgie. So just don't. <laughs> Um, but so he was like, you got to pick a driver. And I'm like, so I just picked the cute one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's cute. Or I like Mountain Dew. I'll root for the Mountain Dew. Yeah, guy. exactly. Sure. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Yeah. He's like, well, that guy's an asshole. I'm like, well, that, that, that tracks with me. <laughs> All the cute ones are. No, they're yeah. not. Well, that was Sports season. Corner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> with the Cemetery Row girls. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Lori, where can they find us? So we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> and please do, like I said, yes. tell us yes. um, your interesting hometown grave or hometown story. We love those. Um, Give us some ideas. A, <laughs> yes, we love ideas. We love we love all the things. So mm-hmm. we're in. <laughs> leave it. us leave us a review. Tell your friends. All that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies. Well, as always, it's so good sharing stories with you and learning yep. so much. Um, I'm gonna go look at some Art Smith art. Jewelry yes, right absolutely. I love her an excuse to look at jewelry. Yes. All right. 
All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.